always like springtime with you, making all things new. Your light is breaking through the dark. Father, that's our heart's cry this morning, that you always make us new. And uh, we receive that this morning, that we're being made new, even today. So, Lord, what we do today is we deposit the residue in our lives, Lord, the buildup over the week. We deposit that in your care, in your hands, in your lap. So we begin, Lord, with those things that have separated us from you, all of those things that we think and do and have said through which we're trying to find our meaning and our purpose and our pleasure apart from you. We confess our sin to you this morning, Lord. We have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We ask you to forgive us and to have mercy on us. Really, Lord. Father, we also give you our worries and our concerns. We've held on to things that we shouldn't have, and we've wondered about our finances or our health or the health of someone we love or our parents or our children. Father, we ask that you would take those. You told us to pray about everything, worry about nothing. So this morning, this is us doing that. God, we give you our heartache, disappointment, broken relationships, or uh, things have not turned out the way we expected. We acknowledge that you are Savior and King over all of that. It is all in your hands. Father, what we want to do is give you ourselves glad-heartedly this morning, completely open our chests, and have you massage your life, your newness into us. And the incredible thing is that's what you do. So we thank you. We pray together as our Savior taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Morning, Gateway. My name is Dean, and I just want to take this time to welcome the new visitors. You guys, thank you so much for joining us. We are actually just starting a new series. Pastor Ed is going through some discussions about us responding to our culture. And we're going to be looking through the book of First Peter in the New Testament. Now, in preparation, join me as I pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to be able to gather together as your people. We thank you so much for the 
way in which you ordained this time and how appropriate it is, Lord God, because given what's going on in our country, we need a new fresh look on who we are and how we are to respond to this culture. We thank you for the message that you are about to give us. And so we pray that you prepare each heart, open each ear, so we might know what you would have us do as we engage this culture. You have invested way too much in our salvation for us to be ineffective. And so we pray, Father God, that you show us brand new how we are to respond. We commit this to you now, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I looked up culture in Webster's Dictionary. Culture is the beliefs, customs, arts, etc. of a particular group, place, or time. Or this is going to be how we are using the word culture. There are other ways to use it, but it's also a way of thinking or behaving that exists in a place or an organization. So it's the stuff all around us. It's the soup that we are being cooked in. Gateway, this is Ben Maffey. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Ben is a junior at Briarwoods High School, and I'm going to brag on Ben a little bit. Last weekend, Ben went to visit Naval Academy and is considering going to the Naval Academy, yeah, and has an offer to play football for the Naval Academy, so he's uh, considering there along with some other places, so congratulations, Ben. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) All right, so Ben, I'm going to ask you some culture questions. Mostly what affects you, all right? So you are a, we'll call you typical. Uh, You are a typical, what are you, 17, 16? 17. Okay. (laughs) You're a typical 17-year-old boy, which is trouble. But apart from that, what kinds of things affect you more culturally? And I'm going to give you three choices. Movies, what you read or see or videos you watch online or your friends? I would have to say my friends. Okay. All right. Second round. What affects you more? No. Uh, your friends are music. And I mean the whole industry, like the, the stars and the lyrics and the, or sports and the whole culture of sports. So which one of those affects you the most? Uh, I'd still say friends. Okay. Yeah. All right, I think you're probably right. Finally, which affects you more? Your friends or your parents? (laughs) Or God's holy word with the words of Jesus in it? It depends on the day. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good answer, Ben. I was going to give you a hard time, and that's a very good answer. All right, we'll, we'll leave it at that. It's usually your parents, right? Yeah. Of course. Yes, of course. Okay, so Ben, if you would, can you kick us off this morning and read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And I'd love for you to be looking this morning at uh, your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. If it's on your phone, dial that up. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And can we go old school and stand out of reverence for God's word while Ben reads... Praise to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. You may be seated. Thanks, Ben. Right, so here we are. This is us following Jesus and making our way through the culture. And the culture is all around us. And here we go, trying to figure out what it is that we do and how it is to re- we respond to all of the stimuli that's around us. And the Apostle Peter is actually going to talk about that in this letter. But before we get there, he sets us up with some pretty epic theological truths. First of all, he reminded us of the importance of who we are. And last week we talked about that. We talked about we are God's elect and God's exiles. And those of you who were here, you're going to remember some of what we said about that. And you'll also notice if you read First Peter, those themes keep coming up through the letter. This week... We're going to cover that opening section right after the introduction in which he talks about the big picture of what God is doing in our lives. And the best way to think about that is, you know how saw on SportsCenter recently, Manny Pacquiao probably had his last fight, but when boxers are boxing, one of the things that they try to do is deliver as many body blows as they can. Think of these truths that Peter piles on top of one another through the section that Ben read for us this morning. Think of these as body blows, only except taking the wind out of us and hurting us. They're like encouragement body blows. If it's possible to think about a body blow that actually builds you up and makes you feel better, that's what Peter is doing. He's delivering encouragement body punches. So we're going to go over six of those today, and I've got the, to help us keep score at home. You actually got a little sermon card in your program this morning, and I'd love for you to scratch that in if you wanted to, because you're going to be able to follow along with what we say. The first thing that Peter says is, first of all, Peter tells us that God is doing something in us that is explosively new. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. So this has happened in his mercy because he feels merciful toward us. And let's be clear, this is something God is doing. This is not something we're seeking out. God is doing this activity in our lives. You know what's incredible about that? Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us, and he could have said happiness. And we would have been okay with that. Or he could have said any number of things. But what he says is, what he's doing in you If you had to give it a title, and what Peter has done is he's kind of ransacked the language to look for the biggest, most epic image that he can. He's given you new birth. It's like you're starting over. You are a brand new thing. Of course, he's stealing this image from 
Jesus, who first introduced that to us when he was talking to a Jewish teacher. And this Jewish teacher came to him and said, what's the deal, Jesus? I want to know what it means to, you know, to like have a connection with God. And Jesus says, look, you've got to be born again. It's like God's got to do something completely new inside of you. And that is what God is doing in us, in you and I. The second thing Peter tells us, encouragement punch number two, is that this new thing creates a living hope within us. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter calls it a living hope, and by which he means this hope that's real. It's not fake hope. It's not a, I really hope it rains this afternoon because I just put grass seed down on my yard. There's no prediction for it, but I really hope it does. This is a real hope, and it's a hope that persists in spite of circumstances. It's, it's living. It is alive in us. Uh, let's face it, Peter's readers were facing difficult circumstances. So he wants to remind them that their hope is not killed, it's alive. Okay, no doubt, if we're going to be honest, and let's be honest, someone is thinking here, but Ed, I don't feel very much living hope this morning. Well, the answer to that of course, is beyond the scope of this passage. But let me say briefly, that's why we're here. That's why we do this. We gather together to remind one another of this truth. You know the old proverb, there's like two tigers. One is perpetrating light and one is perpetrating darkness. Which one lives? And the answer is the one you feed. So we come here together to to feed one another's living hope because that's the real thing. It's living hope. And it's living hope because, hey, 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 Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. So because of that, that's changed everything. Because of that, our hope is alive. The third thing that Peter tells us is this new thing sets us up for an awesome eternity. So he's given us this new birth into a living hope and, verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Literally, this is an inheritance, an awesome eternity, kept in heaven for us. Now, boys and girls, my father died when I was 11 years old. And I have an early memory of my mother giving me his pocket watch. It was not a really nice pocket watch, (laughs) really pretty cheap, but it meant a lot to me. I thought it was cool, and in my hand and in my pocket, it was huge. It was also, this is immaterial, but it was really ornate. It had some kind of fantastic design on the front of it. I didn't realize that that actually made it cheaper, but I carried it for a long time in my pocket and broke the thing into several pieces within, you know, like a couple of months I had it at school, you know, playing, and somebody had run into it, oops. But it was really so valuable to me. Imagine if my father had been rich beyond measure, which, of course, he wasn't. Sorry, Diane. But imagine if my father had been rich beyond measure, then my mother would have come to me and instead of saying, son, you know, love you, so sorry, here's a pocket watch, She would have come to me and said, son, so sorry, love you. I want you to know that your father has left you an immeasurable fortune. 
And when you grow up into a certain age, buddy, that fortune is going to be yours. That's what Peter tells us this morning. And he tells us it can never perish, spoil, or fade. Okay, I'm reminded of Jesus' words when he gave his famous sermon. Some people call it the Sermon on the Mount. At one point in that sermon, Jesus said this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's not saying, you northern Virginians, don't try to get rich because that's stupid. No, don't invest your whole lives in that because it's just unreliable. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The new thing sets up for us an awesome eternity, or sets us up for an awesome eternity. Next, the fourth thing that Peter tells us is because of all of this, we can rejoice in spite of circumstances. I think this is fascinating. If you look up that word rejoice, and I did this week, it actually translates a Greek word, agaliao. And that Greek word, agaliao, if you do an intense word study on that word, you'll find out something really fascinating. That word actually means rejoice. Now, if we're really being honest again, someone here is thinking, Ed, I'm not really rejoicing because of my trials. What's going on with me right now is not cause for rejoicing. But this isn't what Peter tells us, is it? Literally, Peter tells us we can greatly rejoice. But this isn't because of our trials. This is in spite of them. We greatly rejoice because of the great truth of the epic new thing God is doing in us. We greatly rejoice because that new thing is building in us a living hope that is tenacious and real. We greatly rejoice because that new thing has given us access to an awesome eternity which is being kept for us by God's power. I want you to think for a second about the power of this. Before you check that off, it's, oh, yeah, that's nice. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Ed. Nice, good spiritual principle. I want you to think of the power of this. I want you to think about the advantage that this gives you and me. So we can, in spite of circumstances, we can greatly rejoice. Think about that for a minute. Just think about what happens when you get thrown off by circumstances. You get discouraged. You get off your game. Your work suffers. Your relationship suffers. You're not yourself. But instead of that, what if even the worst circumstances could not throw you off? Think about how much that could improve your relating to others. Think about how much better you would be to be around. Think about how much that might improve your performance in every arena of your life. I saw somewhere, a statistic this week, that in 1989, the last time I could find actual statistics for it, it was estimated that depression cost the American workplace $27 billion. $17 billion of that is in literal lost days of work. Now, I'm not trying to minimize the experience of depression for anyone. I know for many of us, it's far more complicated than just a set of circumstances, but I'm trying to illustrate just how much you can be thrown off your game. And circumstances can do that. They can throw you off your game. 
But imagine if you were the kind of person for whom that was not the case. Imagine if you were the kind of person who, in difficult circumstances, you rose up and greatly rejoiced. Now, wait a minute. You don't have to imagine you are that kind of person because of the new work that God is doing in you. In fact, you can greatly rejoice in the worst circumstances. If you can greatly rejoice in the worst circumstances, you become the kind of person everyone wants to be around. You become life-giving to others. They want to know your secret. Instead of such circumstances throwing you off your game, they can, in fact, enhance your game. This is the power of both the hope and the knowledge of an imperishable inheritance that we have within us. That's the power of the living hope and the knowledge of the imperishable inheritance that we have in us. It enables us to rejoice, greatly rejoice, in spite of circumstances. In fact, for most of us, even the worst circumstances only produce a more awesome outcome. The more difficult it becomes, Peter says, that results in praise and honor and glory, and he's just piling stuff on top of one another to let us know that in the worst circumstances, you are the kind of person, because of what God is doing in you, you literally are the kind of person who can greatly rejoice. That doesn't mean that you, oh, I'm, I'm so stinking happy that my life has fallen apart. It's awesome. That's not the experience. But the experience is that we dive deeper in, and we learn and we grow. And we greatly rejoice and others around us are drawn into that and literally amazed. Think of the power of that. That's what God is doing in you and I. Fifth, Peter tells us that we know all of this is true because we are the kind of people who believe and are therefore being saved. We are the kind of people who believe and therefore are being saved. He, he says this in verse 8, uh, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Even though you don't see him now, you believe him and, and, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We haven't seen him, we don't see him now, but we still believe and we're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And I think, by the way, that Peter is a little amazed at this. He was amazed at his first readers, and I think he'd be amazed if he were here with us today because Peter did see him. Peter walked with him for three years, and he knew how difficult it was to believe even with him there. So Peter's thinking, wow, God, don't you realize God is doing something in you because you believe and you're hanging in there. You're filled with a glorious and inexpressible joy, and you've never even seen him again. Someone, if we're honest, may be thinking, I'm not filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. I can express very well what I'm filled with, and it ain't joy. But look, this is Peter, remember this, this is Peter reminding us what's true. This is Peter telling us what's true. The word salvation translates the Greek word soteria. Some of you who have done some of those theological classes that we've done here at Gateway on occasion, you've heard the fancy nickel, actually this is a dollar, seminary word, soteriology, which is kind of the thinking about and the study of what it means to really build a connection with God through Christ. It's taken from this word soteria. 
And the word salvation, soteria, literally means, if you look it up in a Greek-English dictionary, deliverance from danger, or salvation, or rescue. Sometimes in the Bible, and this is interesting, sometimes in the Bible, salvation is spoken of as a past event. It happened at a certain time. And for many of you, you can point to the year when something grabbed you and you realized, what? This stuff is true? And you began a whole new course in your life because something new began to be happening in you. Some of you remember the day when that happened. Some of you remember the period in your life when you began that period, I don't think I believe anything. In fact, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just being chill. And after you know a series of conversations with people or maybe some crisis in your life or maybe just some new stuff happening in your life, later you reach the point where, wait a minute, I'm dialed in. I, I feel like God in my heart, and, and I, I believe all of this stuff. Well, the Bible talks about this salvation, and again, these guys have ransacked the language looking for the most dramatic term they could come up with because they've realized the truth of this. Their experience with God has been so dramatic. What Jesus has done in their lives is so dramatic. You can imagine Peter saying, it's almost like he rescued. Wait, no, no, not almost. He, did. he rescued me. The Bible sometimes speaks about it as this past event, and sometimes The Bible talks about this salvation, this deliverance, this rescuing as a process in our lives. And you and I know it is a journey. You and I know that we don't have this experience where we walk into realizing, I believe, and then everything is like super better. It doesn't happen like that. It's a process. And sometimes, like in this passage, the Bible talks about it like it's a future thing. It's a thing that God will one day fully and completely accomplish. That, of course, relates to what we said last week, if you were here, when we said that we are God's exiles. This is not really our home. We're headed for a place where all of this stuff is going to be perfectly worked out and applied in our hearts and our lives. I want you to imagine that there's a world of kids, and there's one kid, and they all want to grow up. They're all, you know, a bunch of kids wandering around, and they all want to grow up, and they want to be big people. They want to be adults. So this is us. As little kids, we're playing. That's us kicking one another. This is us kicking a ball. We're kids. It's a world of kids. But one kid in all the world, in kid world, one kid has seen an adult. So imagine what his message is to the rest of the kids that gather around him. He's seen an adult. It's true, y'all. I've seen it. I mean, you know, those of you who are boys, they, they have beards and stuff when they get older. And I've seen it. And I know that there are some of you out there who actually believe it. You feel it too. And you know what? You know that it's true because it's already happening in you. Look, some of you are bigger than you were a year ago. That's what Peter's saying. You know it's true. There's something in you that draws you to it, and you are becoming more and more like it. You have in you a living hope. He's doing that. And you have in you this assurance. A lot of times you don't feel it. A lot of times you're in the shower and you have to feel nothing at all. 
or you're on your way to work and you're in traffic and you want to yell at the person in front of you. A lot of times you don't feel it at all, but once in a while you know. You know and you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, I'm really different. I'm growing up. And I'm going to grow up into something awesome with a beard and as if that's awesome. Not awesome at all, Jordan, wherever you are. (laughs) Concerning this whole process, Peter ends with this. He says, the whole thing, everything he's talked about so far, he says, the prophets studied and they prayed and they spoke about what was to come. So you read these Old Testament guys, what they were really doing is they were building their own connection with God and they were studying and they were praying and they were thinking about what was to come. But the full revelation of it, the full showing up of it was for us and not for them. It was for us and not for them. I didn't have room for these verses on the screen, but I want to read them. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. I really think part of what Peter's doing there is he's answering the question for these folks, wait, I know you're a Jew, Peter, and a lot of those first people who were following Jesus were Jews. How do we fit in with that? Because remember, these were a bunch of converted Gentiles. They weren't Jews. And Peter is saying, look, you're connected to all of that. That's your story too. In fact, those people, they were writing about their connection to God, but they were also talking about things to come. And when they did that, they were serving you, not themselves. That's why we read the Old Testament. Peter's saying here, if you want to know how God connects to the world and how to relate to him, then read these stories and these teachings from the Old Testament. If you want to know God's character, read these stories and these teachings. But the deal is, all of this came into full view in Jesus. And that was all for us. And what we've seen, he ends by saying this, what we've seen is so epic, even angels long to know about this stuff. All right, let's review, and then we'll end. God is doing something new in us. God is doing something in us that is explosively new. He has given us new life, new birth. He's doing something in us explosively new. Two, this new thing creates a living hope within us. Three, this new thing sets us up for an awesome eternity. Four, We can rejoice in spite of circumstances. Five, we know all of this is true because we are the kind of people who believe and therefore are being saved. And six, the prophets studied and prayed and spoke about what was to come, but the full revelation of it was for us and not for them. All right, let's end. So what? What does this mean? Well, I'll say two things. These are big, broad, general truths that you and I have to cling to. If we're going to remember how we began, this is us walking our way through the culture. And Peter's going to actually give us some practical advice about dealing with our spouses and dealing with our bosses and dealing with the culture in general. But before he gets to that, he's laying down a solid foundation so that we have good footing as we make our way through the culture. So first of all, the so what is Peter knows we need to be reminded of these great truths. So remember... Remember these truths. 
I'll bet you even our boys and girls have seen uh, the movie Karate Kid. I can't remember when that came out. Was it 80s or? Yeah, it was the 80s. So you remember the Karate Kid. Karate Kid goes to, if I get this name wrong, this could be a Star Wars figure, but I think it was Mr. Miyagi. So he goes, this is correct? Okay, yes. So he goes to Mr. Miyagi, and he wants to learn how to do karate. And you remember what Mr. Miyagi does. He sort of says, you know, wash the car. And when you're washing the car, you know, do this and do this and do this and do this. And after a while, the karate kid is, I can't remember his name. Karate kid's getting frustrated. Don't bother telling me I can't hear you. Karate kid is getting really frustrated, and he says, teach me some karate. And, you know, it comes to the point where Mr. Miyagi, I think, throws a punch at him or something, and the kid washes on right or wax on, wax off. And he realizes through this stupid washing the car, he's actually been learning some karate Peter here, through the basic truths of our faith, is laying down the stones that will literally help you navigate the culture and your own lives. He's teaching you wax on and wax off principles. And those principles will guard your heart and keep you steady and enable you to be the kind of person who can greatly rejoice in the worst of circumstances. Think about this personally. As you relate to the culture around you, the culture at your workplace, your boss or your employees, be reminded of this stuff. Keep these truths in mind tomorrow, Thursday, at your next big meeting. Generally, keep these truths in mind as we relate to the culture around us. As you think about who you will vote for, I want you to be reminded of this stuff. As you think about voting for someone this fall, I don't know if all of you are aware, but we have a presidential election going on right now in America. Think about that stuff. Think about this stuff as you decide who you're going to vote for this fall. As you relate to your neighbors, think about this. Think about the fact that God is doing a new th- an explosively new thing in you. He's making you new. Okay, then, secondly... Let's allow God to impact our attitude, our decisions, and the course of our day as we're reminded of this. All right, this is about as close as I'm going to come to, I'm not going to endorse any candidate or any, during this entire election, so don't get worried. I think Rob might fire me if I did because you're not supposed to as a pastor. You have to be careful if you do so, and I have no idea who I would vote for anyway. But I think there is a way in which to use this matrix to even think about some of the things that the candidates are saying. And I'm not trying to pick on Mr. Trump, but at this point, Mr. Trump is the loudest candidate running for president in America. So I thought about this as I was thinking about Mr. Trump. For example, as we're trying to apply this to our culture, I want you to think about Donald Trump's campaign slogan, to make America great again. I suspect that you and I If we think about this stuff, if we think about the fact that we're exiles here and that we're, you and I, are being born again into an inheritance kept in heaven for us, I suspect that you and I may be less responsive than some are to Donald Trump's call to make America great again. Primarily, of course, what Mr. Trump means by make America great again is to make America rich, He's said that repeatedly. 
But you and I are looking toward an inheritance kept in heaven, and we know, we know that America cannot be great unless she's good. I'm looking for a candidate who will one day say, let's make America good again. Let's make America willing to sacrifice. Let's build an America that cares about its neighbor and its neighborhood. Let's build an America that will invest in community and and the good of others. Let's consider a deeper personal example. Let's say you're being mistreated at work. As you remember these truths, you will know that your mistreatment, how you're treated at work, that can't threaten what's most vital and most important about you. You'll remember that. That will literally help you dial down your own emotional response to that circumstances. In fact, should it continue, should the mistreatment continue, it will only refine you and will eventually result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Plus, you have within you, you and I really do have within us, a living hope, and an inexpressible and glorious joy. That joy doesn't depend on your salary or even if you have a job. It doesn't depend on whether or not you're married or own your own home. It doesn't depend on good news from the doctor or the rise or fall of the stock exchange. It depends on what the old evangelists used to call the finished work of Christ. So this week, be reminded and allow God to show you ways that this reminder changes the course of your day or changes your attitude or changes whatever decision it is that you'll be making. Let's pray. Father, we have heard your word, but we need your spirit to quicken us and to make it alive in us. I pray, Lord, that you would do that work in us, that you would bring this to our remembrance this week that you would make it alive for us, that you would quicken our hearts, that you would stir us. We thank you so much, Lord, that you're making us new, explosively new. We thank you that you have given us a living hope and an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us and shielded by God's power through our faith. We thank you that because of this, we can greatly rejoice no matter the circumstances because we're being refined by them. We thank you, Lord, for the confirmation of our own belief in spite of not having seen when we don't see him now. And yet we believe. And we thank you that that this message has been preached for hundreds of years, and it was for us. So today, God, we, we receive it. We receive it as coming from you. In the strong name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.